Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast where we share our stories of starting and running our float centers. And we hope that you join us as we work together on raising our education level on building, marketing, and running our float centers. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Art of the Float. And of course, visit artofthefloat.com to find show notes, links, pictures from every episode. And tonight, we're adding a new link to the website as well. I'm excited to share that with you guys. Uh, but first, let me introduce myself. I'm Dylan. I own the Float Shop in Portland, Oregon with my wife, Sandra Calm. And I'm joined with Amy of Float Nashville. Hi, Amy. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. I gave you the full intro this time. You did. It was beautiful. Hand it to you for a hello. I feel good about that. Feel I feel like good. A real professional. I, I think Engineer good. Brian, Engineer Brian, are you around? Are you around? Yep, I'm cool. on. All right. <laughs> so we are ready to go. Oh, I think we have a speak pipe too. In case you haven't listened for a while, uh, we've got a, um, you can leave voicemails to our show. We haven't talked about it in a while because people tend not to leave them a whole lot, but it's still an option on our website. It's the gold bar on the left side of the screen. And uh, we've got a speak pipe. I haven't heard that yet. So I'm excited to hear what that's all about. And uh, let's see here. Oh, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters this week. Thanks guys so much for continuing to support us or, and the program that we're doing here. Um, let's see here. Brian Huff, thank you so much. Michael Boger and Dave Skellington. Thank you guys so much for helping support us on the show and helping us produce the amazing content like you're hearing today. Thank you so much. It truly, truly uh, awes me and I'm humbled by your guys' support. Thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, let's see here. Oh, patreon.com forward slash art of the float is where you want to go to check that out if you too want to help support us. And of course, we are also giving uh, content for $10 supporters or higher with high resolution photos of people floating in float tanks. We try to get just a whole, whole different type of mix of people in those float tanks for all the different needs that you might need of people floating. I also want to give a shout out to California Float Concepts. CAFloatConcepts.com is where you want to go to check them out. Their Orion float tank is the one that was at the float conference. It was on the main stage. It was also outside of the float conference. You could actually get in there and check it out. You could also see how their crazy awesome filtration system works, which is, I, I don't think anybody else is doing their, their style of filtration, uh, which is amazingly run by, um, well, they have two pumps. So if one runs out or stops working, excuse me, the other one just takes over and keeps, keeps filtering. But it's also, um, it means that instead of having a water skimmer, all the water just goes over the edges. And so um, it is just phenomenal how it, how it moves the water and cleans the water. Right? Very impressive. And of course, it has uh, all the sensors you could possibly want on a float tank and all other, all sorts of other cool gadgets that I've, I've covered before. Uh, CAFloatConcepts.com, again, is where you want to go. And I'd also encourage you to go to Instagram and uh, check out CA Float Concepts as well because they do show so many share so many pictures of their development of this float tank as well. Amy, how are you doing this week? How's it going? I am. Right? I'm doing all right. I'm doing a lot better than our friends south in Houston. So, yeah. so you mm -hmm. know, they're in our on our mind tonight, and certainly, you know, when you when you look at how rough their life is right mm -hmm. now, I'm doing so much better. So, mm -hmm. grateful for. Grateful for being here, showing up, and and that I'm dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's obviously in the news and everything, but I definitely yeah. feel a large disconnect. Um, being in Oregon, I mean, just geographically, it's so far away. Do you are you guys more personally affected because of the geography? 
You know, we will be personally affected. We are going to be getting some of that rain coming through Nashville oh. this week, and there is already concerns about flooding here in Nashville, not to the extent in Houston. But, uh, you know, my business partner has a sister there, so that uh, that connects us a little bit more. Got and I do it, have yeah. some friends that are right in the zone. So got it, got it. Uh, they're, they are in our my thoughts and my heart tonight and... You know, compared to that, I am extraordinarily grateful to be here in Nashville and to be here with you tonight. We're well, happy you. to have you. It's lovely to have <laughs> you, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for Doing being great. here. Thank you. And and how's your week going business-wise, all that jazz? So, yeah, so business-wise, we're finally getting through August. And I know I've said in the past that August is a slow month. And I think it is for from what I've seen online and like Float Collective and from my uh -huh. floaty friends on Facebook <laughs> that it's yeah. a slow month for a lot of people. And, you know, of course, we, we made it through August okay. Uh, it felt like a struggle. It, you know, felt had those moments of a little panic here and there. So I'm so thankful to be through August and looking forward mm. to things looking up a little bit more now that September is so close at hand. That's uh, funny. <laughs> I, I just know that feeling of like this month we're we're okay, but I'm gonna kind of call a mulligan on that and just look forward to next month. Like I That's know that right. feeling well. Like, <laughs> the future is gonna be great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be better. Uh, and business wise, you know, I'm still working on that next float center, and what? there's oh, working on second crazy, float center, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's cool. That's cool, yeah. So it's just a thing, just a thing I'm doing on the side, you know, in my yeah. spare time. A little side hustle, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Multiple streams, multiple revenue streams. Exactly. That's right. Even if they're small, you know, yeah. little yeah. projects. Doing what I can, doing what I can, you know. Uh, and I had a very interesting experience this week, and that is shopping for a general contractor. So by this point, mm. just to catch everyone up, mm -hmm. I was supposed to have a general contractor and actually be signing for my loan today. That did not happen. Um, but we had an interesting experience because I had the uh, opportunity to see three contractors, three general contractors in three days who were making bids. And what I found, it was, very, it was a very big learning experience for me because I had three very, very different contractors and it really made me think about what I wanted in a contractor, mm. what I was looking for, mm -hmm. and it just gave me a very different viewpoint of that. Um, the first contractor who came last Wednesday, uh, he was pretty young, super nice guy, only brought one of his subcontractors, did not have plans with him, mm. asked me a total of maybe two questions, oh and that was it. That was that. So you're saying now, not good for somebody building a flow center? <laughs> with all really nice guy. Really yeah. nice guy. I really liked him from a personality standpoint. And in fact, when we walked into our, our new uh, center, uh, it had rained the night before, and there were puddles all along the windows, large puddles. We're like, oh, no, do we oh. have a leak in the roof? What's going on? Well, he actually helped us figure out that it was just coming through the floor, and a, and a little bit of caulk actually caulk solves everything, right? That's what Indeed. I'm learning as a float center. It, um, use use yeah. some today, yeah. <laughs> use some today. It, <laughs> makes, it makes everything better. Screw duct tape. We're going for caulk <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, so he was really great from that standpoint. Uh, and I have a feeling that once we actually see his, um, his estimate, it'll probably be within budget. However, I found out from my architect who arranged this uh, that, and my real estate agent that he, she had been trying to make an appointment with him for over a month. The other problem was he showed up two hours late and didn't seem concerned at all, despite mm. the fact that it took a big 
chunk out of my day. Kind of a red and flag. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and the flags. third thing <laughs> was, oh, yes, I'm going to get it to you on Monday. Well, it's Tuesday as we are recording this, and I still have not heard a peep from him. Oh, so, wow. man. Nice guy. Probably would be really fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to make it to my to my top three. Um uh, we worked with one gentleman on Thursday who's actually a friend of my business partners, and he we he knows our budget. He knows what's going on. He's working really hard to get it within the budget. However, during our meeting, he brought a few of his subcontractors in, and during that meeting, he did bring plans, but he did not, obviously did not read any of them, and he was driving my architect crazy because he was asking questions that were literally on the plans in front of him, and he had been asking all week questions that she's like, you have all that information, um, and he was really ticking her off, and my partner said to me, he's like, yeah, he'll do a really good job, but he's probably going to tick you off, and it's like, well, if he's in budget, <laughs> how much am I willing to be ticked right. off? <laughs> so he's a good he's a good contractor. He's got a good reputation. He pays his subcontractors, but you gotta think about personality as well. The third contractor we saw on Friday, and he was he was on it. He asked all the right questions. He had a great personality. All of his subcontractors showed up. Oh, wow. They all knew each other. Nice. And interestingly enough, um, they had, let's see, he had built the building that we're in now. We didn't know this at the time. But oh, he wow. came in, he's like, I built this building. And his plumber did the plumbing in the building, and his electrician oh. did the electrical in the building. So they had worked together for a long time, and and that was that was kind of neat. And it was he was very thorough and very gracious. He had done his homework. He had read the plans. He had... Uh, you know, he'd done everything right. However, as he's walking out, he's like, you know, I'm probably going to be a little bit more than your other mm. contractors, but I, you know, my sub, my subcontractors, I talked to them. They're ready to start. If you sign with me, we can start right away. We can get moving. Everybody's ready to go. So, <laughs> um, I'm of course more? root. I don't know yet. We don't oh, have wow. those numbers yet, but of course, I am rooting for number three. Go, Doug. Right. Fingers crossed for Doug. Um, <laughs> but. It's very interesting how very different those three meetings were, and it really yeah. does make you think. The questions they ask, you know you've got a good general contractors when the questions they ask really make you think and refine your vision of what you want to do. So mm-hmm. it was discouraging, and I'm scared to see those numbers, but at the same time, um, it's good to know that there are some people out there, whether I can afford them or not is another question, but there's some people out there who can, who can get in there and get this done, and I feel that they're capable. Right. And, so and if they're asking you questions, that mm-hmm. means they're thinking about you and your project yes. rather than just like, oh, yeah, we'll take care of this and slap some drywall together. No problem. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. They, that's, they made that's an effort good. to. Yeah. They made the effort to understand what a float room was. And actually, the Doug sent his one of his subcontractors into float Nashville to do some some recon and to ask some other questions and look at the tank and look at the floor. And um, once again, it was just really nice and very thorough. And, you know, um, my money's on Doug, but who knows what his literally. Uh, yeah, literally, <laughs> it might be yeah. as long as it's not crazy. Uh, and we are on a really, really self-imposed, tight, tight, tight budget. Oh. So yeah, that wasn't that. That was a very interesting, very educational experience. Um, but still, kind of makes you still have those, you know, those butterflies in your stomach when you're not sure what's going to happen, and you're 
like, oh, just give me the numbers already. Let's get through with this so I can get my loan because I'm almost up oh on my that. Gosh. <laughs> so it's been from that standpoint. Yeah, I've been real nervous, yeah. real crazy. Uh, no, it's not bad. Not bad at all. And this is the other thing that's driving me nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> the last time we Dylan. talked. Please don't say Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, permitting issues. We were supposed to have all ah. our stuff into permitting last Wednesday. It okay. is once again uh, almost seven days later. And still don't have the plans from the MPNE guys. So still not its permitting. <laughs> this is stuff that I'm saying it because. I know that I'm not alone in these things, and I just want you to know <laughs> you've right. got all my empathy. Anybody yeah. who's going through this, anybody who's been there, um, you feel me, and yeah, I know I'm not unique. alone. Uh, yeah. Good but you help know, is hard to find. Like, good help is so hard to find. With construction, we've yes. been going through this with, with our building, and we're, we're doing some renovations on it. And it's like your, your personal home. My personal home, well, the actually the the build the entire building itself where my where my unit is in, like right. the board has, we went through that interview process with contractors, and some guys are showing up with their t-shirts untucked, like just like yeah, we'll do it. Other guys are coming with a slick presentation, but and they're also very expensive. Exactly, so. and we did that with our flooring at my condo. Is we went with the guy with the t-shirt untucked and like kind of looked a little unkept, and that's the kind of flooring we got. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, it's amazing how much those those paired up to each other. <laughs> I'd love to, like, not stereotype, but, well, there we go. We, we got what we paid for. And, and the guys with the great presentation that charged a third more, they would have done such a better job, you know? Right. Uh, and I've never been happy with my floors ever since. I've, I've never oh, been no. happy. So it, you do, you do, yeah. It's, it's you, a you make crazy. You. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you got to do what you got to do, but, yeah, it's. It's a tough time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's some good that happened this week. I want to end this. I want to end my little yes. section here with some good stuff um, <laughs> and something encouraging. Uh, so, yes, and there's no flooding, but, you right. know, I've got some really strange general contractors show up. My MP&E guys are a little, a little slow. But uh, we actually wandered into – we've been making connections in our new community. And we reached out to the university, and uh, we are working on a project that's actually not float-related, mm. but because it's because that's what we do, and they're asking a lot of questions, and it may lead to some opportunities with floating. So uh, that's been kind of the fun part and the positive part in all this is getting into a new community, meeting some really great people, and, and knowing that, yes, we made the right decision. We went into the right location. And I'm super excited to really get to know the people in our community nice. in, a, in a good way. So, um, so yeah, taking that time to make those relationships, mm-hmm. even early, early on. That's a perfect time. That's so great. It's fantastic. You won't have a lot of time in the future. True. <laughs> this is true. And it's not like you're trying to sell. You know, sometimes it's mm. like, well, I don't want to go in and sell. And you feel like if you have a business, you have to go in. And, and it, it just kind of changes that relationship. It changes mm. that mm-hmm. that feel. And right now, we're just like, we're asking them for help. We're the ones in debt. We're saying, hey, can <laughs> you help me? Can you give me this information? Can you can you tell me, you know, where to go? Can you give me some recommendations? And I, I feel like that is so much mo better. <laughs> That's a very southern way of saying it. I'm sorry. Um, I feel it's mo better to start <laughs> that relationship in in that way, in that kind of um feel rather than going in and saying, Hey, I'm a new business here. Don't you want to come over and learn right. to float? Don't you want to come over and do this? Um, 
and it feels really good. So, you know, I was afraid we were coming in and starting too early, going out and talking to people way too early. But no, I don't think we've I don't think we've made that mistake That's at awesome. all. It's, yeah. it's been fun. I it's think been you're fun. being very smart. And and smart like makes it sound conniving. Like just that's that's great. Like you will be better bonded, better friends. And then when you do want to have sell, have them, when you want to flip that sell button yeah, on, yeah. push that button, then then yeah, like it's gonna have a deeper deeper hooks. That's great. Yeah, and like you said, it's not done in a way that has has been conniving, but but I'm realizing all the benefits um, of it, and and really just enjoying the process a lot more than I would if I were like a month out from opening and having to feeling like I have to like get, Oh no, we have to fill it. We have to make sure people are coming. We have to do this (laughs) totally different feel. I'm enjoying it. So um, like going to say hello, meet them with your shoulders up by your ears. Hey, I'm just about to open (laughs) and I really need you to bring people in the float. That's going to be a great way to say hi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. It's probably not, it would probably would be a very different feel. Although these people are so gracious, I'm sure it would still be lovely. But this is a lot more fun for me. Yeah. This has yeah. been a lot yeah, more yeah, fun yeah. for me. Yeah, 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 totally. Good, yeah. good. So good. How's your week, Dylan? It's been fantastic. It's been fantastic. Yeah? I, uh, non, non-float related, uh, Sandra, the baby girl, and I went to the beach, and that Ooh. was amazing. And uh, Erica got to see the beach for the first time, and her first beach Aww. sunset as well. And she just loves it. She loves traveling. She sleeps well <laughs> when we travel. And that was just amazing <sighs> for us. So that was really cool. And I ran into an employee while I was out there <laughs> who thankfully had not called in sick that day. <laughs> that day. It was scheduled time <laughs> off. He was like, hey, hey. And I was like, what the? Oh, my God. What the heck? So we got to hang out for a little bit and uh, with, with her family. So that was really fun. And, uh, yeah, just a weird kind of random and apropos to, to nothing really, but fun and interesting. Uh, the, the main thing that we did at the shop was uh, installing Tranquility rubber springs underneath, well, our tranquility float tank and it was a little bit more of a project that i anticipated i thought i had done the prep for it like emptying the float tank and everything before mm-hmm. the volunteers showed up but like every project we ever talk about it's more than you think it's gonna <laughs> be and uh engineer brian was there he showed up of course to help out and um actually it was it was quite a big help for like uh it, it comes in two pieces and it needs to be bolted together and him and i worked on that Plus, I don't know if you've seen Brian Lindley, but he's got some pretty big guns. So he was, you know, lifting that float <laughs> tank up by himself. Well, everybody Thanks, man. Else. I gotta get. I only I only work out when I come and uh, help out at the shop <laughs> yeah. twice a year. So well, that twice a year, <laughs> man, it keeps really keeping me out. keep me keep me fit. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it was it was pretty straightforward. It just was like it was just I don't know. everything just takes longer and i was like getting self-conscious about eating up everybody's volunteer time actually i mean we're we're paying employees who were there but we had some volunteers as well and i was just feeling self-conscious but everybody was like laughing and having a good time and i was like oh you know what maybe i don't need to be all up in my head about this this is all right people are having a good time i think Uh, i think the smaller space made it more difficult too i mean if you have a massive if you have a massive room yeah Mm -hmm. Like it makes it a little easier, but we we were navigating stuff in and out of hallways and right. yeah, and, and tranquility is one of our larger rooms too. But yeah, I think the fact that I had trash cans full of water there <laughs> is probably <laughs> that wasn't exactly a space saver. And so yeah, I guess the process was I took off the the shell sides of the tranquility tank, removed those from the the the, the room, um, dropped a sub pump into the float tank, drained it out into I think it was five. Uh, rubber maids, and mm-hmm. then um, once that was down, then the volunteers came in and, and helped take off the. There are two 
two lids. Uh, if I'm <laughs> wait, was it two? Yeah, uh, two lids that were taken off, and then we put the vibration pads underneath, slid them in, you know, put the heaters back on, put it all together, and then everybody left, and I added a bunch of water again, and. Um, Gosh, yeah, when I tell the story, it actually does sound like a long time, actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was all cool. Everybody had a great attitude, and I actually got to jump in today uh, before the first float of the day and listen to it, and I was thrilled with how much... Of course, it's not just, like, it's not an on-off switch. It's not like noise is coming through or there's no noise. It's all about reduction. And so sound of traffic, sound of footsteps in the building, everything was reduced really drastically. So I was extremely excited to see that. And um, actually we wanted these vibration pads a long time ago. I think even when we, when we bought this tank new, we wanted to try this thing out, this, these vibration pads and, uh, it was too expensive. And Sandra was like, Hey, why didn't we get those vibration pads just like a month or so ago? And I was like, nah, they're too expensive, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, just, just email them again. And like, let's just price check again, see if it's the same. And they were like, we are opening a a factory a week from now in the u.s so yeah we can absolutely make that for you at like half the price now it's like oh my goodness wow. okay that is awesome so uh we got got a like a price that made a lot more sense to us <laughs> to get those and uh I'm, I'm excited to have them in there now and like just tranquility is getting more and more legit uh, as it's the weakest unit closest to the street that that it gets those vibrations and stuff so stoked about that um our nautilus float tank was having some issues and i, I hate like talk I, I always i get um self-conscious talking anything negative about a float tank because i'm one person but i'm speaking to a lot of people and I'm, I'm just nervous about being like well nautilus could have issues with with their remote control and honestly this was totally my issue with how i ran the ethernet cable and threaded it together um was that I, I didn't properly bind some wires together. And so it was, uh, the pump was turning on or it was basically just glitching out randomly throughout the day. And uh, so I just had to go in there, redo some ethernet cabling and bind it together properly. And now it's just like a way more professional setup for how we have things with our Nautilus float tank. So I'm, I don't know if there's a whole lot to learn necessarily from that, but I'm just excited that uh, we got that upgrade and our, um, ready to go. But yeah, of course, just maintenance is always going on, I guess is kind of the, the point of that one. So I believe we have a speak pipe ready to go. Uh, is that right, Engineer Brian? Yep. Cool. Go for it. Hey, guys. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for making and creating this podcast. It's hmm. such a pleasure listening to you guys. Um, I have a question in regards to a tranquility pod. I've just bought two Tranquility Pods, nice. and for some reason, it takes about three to four clicks of the light button for the light inside the pod to come on. Um, I'm just wondering if this is normal, or is there a fix for it? Um, what I should be doing? Is there a way to set it up? Um, yeah, if you guys could help me answer this question, that would be awesome. Thank you very much. Did we get a name there? We did not. I believe it. I believe it's from uh, the email that came in was from Hayden. Hayden. Let's call him uh, Hayden. So I have somebody let's to. Call him Hayden. <laughs> Thank you, Hayden. Thank you for the the kind words and for the question. Thank you for the speak pipe. Uh, and again, I just want to plug the speak pipe. Speak pipe again. I love hearing everybody's voices on the show. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, so let's see here. Yeah, that is. I mean, Floataway is big on finger strength, and they just want to help implement that for all the communities <laughs> around the world to make sure that you're working out your fingers. And uh, getting at least four presses in for, for any light maneuvers while you're in the float tank. Uh, I, my honest answer to that would be, uh, well, 
probably the most professional answer would be contact float away. But true, I, I think um, you would want to double check the seal on that. Maybe unplug it, plug it back in. I've had that happen a few times where it's just mm. like, huh, this just doesn't seem to have the the responsiveness that I'm used to. And I think um, either there's just an air leak, so you're pushing the air button and it's leaking out, and so it's not enough to trigger it, or there's just not enough pres- pressure caught up in that tube. And um, I would I would just try unplugging it and plugging it. <laughs> Plugging it back in. <laughs> Have you tried power filling your float tank? Um, but but really, that that would be it. And I kind of assume that you would probably have already done that. So I would start with the um, the button at the front of the float tank. That's the one that most easily easily disconnects. And then you could start going to the one on the side of the float tank or where it actually goes back to the motherboard, um, which are moderately easy to disconnect as well. So I would just want to double check all those points of contact where the air might might have a chance of leaking. If that if it, that does not fix it, you definitely want to contact them and, and see what's going on, um, because then maybe there's a potential tear in the tubing or maybe something with the circuit board, which I would highly doubt would be the issue. Again, I don't work at Float Away, but that would be my best <laughs> guess, having owned one for like six years. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. So I didn't even announce this at the top of the show, what this episode is about. It's the soul of the industry. Um, nope. I should really go back. Uh, we just did nope. that speak pipe, and I uh, skipped, skipped over uh, a really important part. Float. So uh, both a like, really fun week and also really happy with some of the improvements that we made, like with the vibration pads, with the Nautilus uh, remote control, just like getting everything up to snuff and just incrementally increasing the, the value of the shop is just, it, it feels good. So felt like a good week uh, at, the, at the old shoppy. And now I would like to share some really exciting news that I've been dying to talk about for quite some time. And we finally got it all set up. It took a took quite a bit of work on both of our sides of the Pro Float and Art of the Float. Thanks, Engineer Brian. Thanks, Roger and Chris Petrovex at Pro Float. Um, now I should probably explain what I'm talking about here. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm going to go all the way back. Basically, we, as float center owners, I think every single one of us has said we should really have a company that provides all of the things float centers need, <laughs> and. Then we start our float center, and then we realize it's a ton of work to do that, and then we don't get around to it. Uh, so, and and I will say that there have been a few others that I haven't been super excited about or haven't been big fans of that I would want to put my energy behind to, to help promote. But with ProFloat, they are somebody who I do want to partner up with and help promote. So basically what ProFloat is doing beyond making float tanks is they are offering uh, the things that you need to run your float center, where it's the pH up or um, an entire starter kit. So if you're just opening your float center for the first time, they have everything that you need to get your float your float tank operational as far as water goes, um, hydrometers, check, checking the specific gravity, a floaties neck pillow so that you can like really just float somebody right out of the gate and maintain your water. So um, what, I, what I'm getting at here, <laughs> if I'm going in a roundabout way, is ProFloat uh, now offers all the things that you need to run a float center, and we are teaming up with them to uh, basically encourage you to use them, to, to go through them, support within the community the products that we use, um, you know, supporting another float industry business. And, um, yeah, and we just want to uh, 
make sure that you're letting them know that we're sending you their way, of course, and you actually get great prices on what they're offering. Uh, so it's not like you're paying a premium or anything. That's one of the reasons we wanted to go into business with them as well is Chris seems to be a awesome negotiator of dealing with people. I even was thinking about offering earplugs and, um, I, I couldn't even get them to talk to me about it yet. Chris worked out a deal with these guys. I think he might be, Ooh, I shouldn't say I might be talking out of turn here, but I believe he's the exclusive distributor of earplugs in Canada. I'll have to double check that. But um, even if he's not, just the fact that he got to um, sell earplugs is just uh, Max earplugs is very impressive to me. So I know they're planning on building more and more uh, products into their system there. And what I love about it is they're not trying to get rich off of selling products. They already have an established business, and this is an add-on that they're doing. And so they can do this without the stress of needing to make money now or go out of business. And also, just Chris and his team are amazing people, and I think anybody that knows them uh, believes that. So I was, and I should say, Brian and I were really excited to go into business with these guys as people who, A, like the business model, I fell in love with, and then I think, and again, I should say we fell in love with, but also we fell in love with these guys as well, and, and Donna as well. Like they're just awesome people to work with and um, just super sweet as well. So like supporting each other feels feels really good. Brian, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to that. No, I think I echo your statements. I mean, they're a great group of folks. We're super excited to be partnering with them. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm, I'm really excited to see where they take this. They're still building out their online store, so um, some things you'll you'll have to call in to order, but there is some stuff available um, through their e-store, and uh, we'll have links to all those items at artofthefloat.com forward slash profloat. Um, or if you do have an order uh, over the phone or anything, you can mention code AOF, and you can receive free shipping off orders of $200 or more. Nice. Well, running a float center, that shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> yeah, pretty easy so. to make that. I love it. Uh, and and it, this just needed to happen. Just the proper business that's doing this mm-hmm. needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm just stoked that it's these guys. Uh, before we move on, I want to give a shout out to Float Helm as well before we go to our main topic. Floathelm.com is where you want to go to learn all about the software that is going to be scheduling for your clients in your float tanks. It's also where you... want to go to learn about measuring your salt levels and your pH levels and keeping track of all that information in your software. Um, You can schedule a tour of FloatHelm when you're there and you can check out uh, everything that it can do for you, including things like now scheduling the massage and uh, other other modalities besides float tanks or beyond float tanks, I should say, so that you can expand your business and stay within Helm while you're doing this. Uh, And I've, I've mentioned it before, but they really do consolidate what normally would be several pieces of software, free and paid, free or paid, uh, that are going to be taking up all sorts of tabs on your browser and consolidating it all into one cohesive system. So it's, it's very impressive. And floathelm.com, again, is where you want to go to check it out. And again, there is just absolutely no reason why you shouldn't just schedule an appointment to get a tour of, uh, of Floathelm. All right, now we are on to the main topic of today, which is part two of the Soul of the Industry discussion, which I'm excited to share with you guys. Um, This is from this year's Float Conference. If you haven't listened to the first part already, I would definitely say go back and and listen to the first portion, which uh, introduces the Float Collective. And um, even if you're already aware of who the Float Collective is, formerly the Canadian Float Collective, it describes really in detail of where they're going in the future and how they're identifying themselves and what they'll be contributing to the community. So I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to part one first, 
part two is also um, chock full of great discussion, which uh, the, the first one ends with, but this one goes into definitely insurance and marketing are probably the two biggest topics that are discussed in this one. And I just highly encourage you to um, listen to this if, if for no other reason than just to get those gears turning uh, while listening to this. It's such a great way to kind of get inspired and touch base with the community and what the community uh, finds important and, and, and is talking about. So please enjoy part two of Solo the Industry. So I think I might be the only person in the room that does not own a float center and has no desire to own a float center. By the way, who doesn't own a float center yet or is in the process? Hmm. Look at that. I don't want to own a book. That was the qualifier there. <laughs> so, so I'm an example of an avid floater who, after every time, every time I float, I come out and I think to myself, I need to figure out a way to get more people to float. So I have convinced numerous people to float, my colleagues and friends. Um, and I think a big um, barrier is for people who do want to know the anecdotal versus the empirical empirical um, evidence it's really daunting to try to find the research papers so you first of all you have to know where to look and then once you find them you have to be prepared to spend money on them unless you have some kind of credentials and then once you find them you have to have you have to be um, knowledgeable about the jargon to even understand what, this, what the studies are saying so my idea, so I'm not a maven or whatever, um, I'm not a, I do not have a lot of social media followers, but I do have a skill, which is, so I'm an evaluator and a um, researcher. What I could do is create like infographics or two-page briefs that, that transform the papers into dige digestible you know, information that anyone who's interested in floating can figure out at a glance what studies have been done, what are the recent ones, what are the big takeaways, and I think that might be really beneficial um, to, to float owners. So back to the other point is talking about like ambassadors, the people who are floating in your centers, to kind of try to think outside the box about what they could provide. Like you might have people who float on a regular basis who are designers and could help you, even if it's like a one hour consult, help you um, work on a flyer or uh, advertisers who have advertising backgrounds. So not just maybe social media um, posters, but there's like a ton of skills that float, like avid floaters would probably be super enthusiastic to offer. But it's some, there has to be some kind of like push to get them in. I don't know if it's like something in your float center that says, hey, do you love floating? Do you wanna help the floating community? Something to get them, to get them to know that there's a need. Cause I think a lot of people just go into the float center, they float, and they come out and they don't really know behind the scenes what the challenges are. So that, that kind of implies a float collective that's for floaters, that's public, that isn't about <coughs> floats on operations, but is about people who are passionate yeah, about floating just because they float. Been around the right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is float love. There is a Facebook page for it, but um, yeah. I think an interesting thing just to, there, there's one thing you said in terms of compiling research, which I think is, is something that will come up, whether it's in, in, in this category or another, um, and just to have that into place so we're not crossing too many lines differently. There, there will be, what's, when's the FT? Or when's the FTA workshop? Seven? Uh, it's 530. 5.30, so there's gonna be an FTA workshop um, where uh, there'll be more kind of discussion on the um, kind of regulatory and, and um, kind of research side of things. 
because one thing we do want to emphasize is is working together that if there is a is, if there is that gold standard of, of floating or 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 a, like a like a grouping of, of research papers that are accurate they're they're backed up there's the, you get all the nods from all the different people kind of in the industry that we could absolutely band together and take that chosen research and then be able to create those types of content would be kind of an example but just in terms of that we're, we're, we're all kind of um, on the same page too that if you guys are interested at all about the idea of like research or that, that kind of gold stamp or gold standard that the FTA meeting will be kind of after this as well which will be a really good kind of insight and kind of follow up to the discussions that we have um, but I do I, like just just in, on a personal note though um, I do agree like the, the idea that you have like that group of people who might not want to own a float center but the idea you're so passionate about it because it helps you so much and that you want to be able to express that how do we um, you know potentially get a get a people or get people together who have experience in being able to create that type of content um, or create types of materials or resources that other other may, float mavens which is I love that term um, other float mavens can can then end up using in, in their own maybe other social media platform or their community of people so as, as float center owners engaging in these kinds of conversations in Float Collective, you could say, hey, I've got this amazing client who's really good at this and is passionate about floating and wants to be involved. And that's, that's the kind of thing that Float Collective can serve as a catalyst to create a project around that and be like, okay, so this person has a little bit of time, that person has a little bit of time, this person has a little bit of time, they're all passionate about this. Let's try and put that together so it's not just one person sitting there thinking, well, man, it'd be great to get this thing done, but that feels way too overwhelming for me to, to take on. If there's 20 people taking a little chunk of a project, you can get that project done much more quickly than one person trying to tackle it themselves. So that, I mean, this is just a, perf a perfect example of like the, the kind of thing that we, we want to make connections around and help cultivate. And scalability. I think I can offer some perspective too. Uh, my name's David. I've been a sports chiropractor for the last 25 years. I went to chiropractic college here in Portland in, the, in 1990. And uh, so I've been practicing chiropractic up until two weeks ago. And uh, due to some personal injury and disability, I've, I've, I've repurposed myself and refocused myself about four years ago and opened up a four tank float center. And so that's, I was doing chiropractic and acupuncture. I have an interdisciplinary cooperative center with chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, other healing arts like cupping therapy. And, um, and so I'm still the owner and director of that at the present time, but I'm full-time at the float zone in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I really appreciate what you're doing right now as far as everything that you've said so far. Um, I think that there's a lot of parallels between the floating industry and the chiropractic industry. And for many of you that don't know, the chiropractic industry has been slandered and boycotted for many, many years, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, up until 1990, um, the Chiropractic Association was able to prove purposeful boycott and slander by the American Medical Association with a historic um, lawsuit there. But still that quackery campaign went on for a number of years and, and when we used most of our monies towards defense and defending our profession from the outside, um, and very little went into research. And so now it's like, whoa, we have to catch up from the 1990 basically trying to catch up on, on, on a lot of research and studies to try to validate ourselves. Um, 
in the community in, in, in the world at the same time there's all kinds of other competitions coming in from the way healthcare is changing to other competitors now that medical doctors are doing you know, the osteopaths are doing uh, manipulation physical therapists are doing manipulation and so there's a, there's a, lo a lot of lines are crossed and, um, but but um, some of ch chiropractic's worst enemies have come from within the, uh, the, our own profession and you know we've eaten each other alive in many ways and we've devalued and we've and as much as we've done good we've also hurt ourselves from within and was that and competition between chiropractors yes competition from in 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 doing things like groupons and trying to just kind of cutthroat each other or taking advantage of uh, personal injury or taking advantage of workers comp cases or taking advantage of insurance in some ways um, and so we need to be really really careful as we position ourselves in this new industry just like you guys started saying initially um, it's really really important to to have a unified collective approach and to to minimize uh, outliers and fringe kind of thoughts and behavior and things that are going to take us down and eat, eat away at each other um, and there's and there's ways to kind of cooperate and build each other up and I think um, you know we're starting off on a good way just as far as this collaborative type approach that you're talking about but I wanted to touch on um, you know on your idea you know just like like telling your doctor right sometimes it's hard to get in front of medical doctors and get in front of acupuncturists and get in front of chiropractors, but you're getting in front of their patients all the time, right? So it's the patients that are coming into your office and it's those patients that you have to tell, hey, tell your medical doctor that you floated, you know? Tell your chiropractor that you floated, tell your acupuncturist that you floated. The, the beauty of, of, of flotation is that it's like a web for all these different disciplines out there that work well in tandem with floating. And so floating by itself is not a panacea. Floating is not a cure-all to everything, but it's, it's a part of a collective approach in your community. And if you address it like that to other healthcare professionals, that you're not threatening them and that you're not looking to, um, well, you treat back pain, I treat back pain. You know, oh, you do opioid. You, you can help people with opioids. I can help people with opioids. You know, it's it's a it's a collective approach, even in that way too. And it's you, you have to be careful in the way in which you come across because some people may consider it as competitive, uh, including chiropractors. A competing therapy. A competing therapy, as opposed to working as opposed to working in tandem with any given other mind body therapy. Um, so, I hope to be a, um, an influential assi of assistance to this group. Thank you. Do, you, do you see one thing that the float industry is doing that the chiropractic industry did before and was a, a bomb? A, a bomb or a bad choice or a bad direction? Well, it's, it's, um, it's having the direction. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the FTA discussion in another hour. Um, because I think that's a big part of it that you know you have to have a unified approach you can't have um, you know 
the International Chiropractic Association and the American Chiropractic Association. And you know, you have two competing philosophies for years and years and years. Oh, until until recently now is one. You know, so it's it's starting with a with a level playing ground and understanding from the beginning, like now's the time when things are changing so rapidly, getting a, getting a really good vision right now, you know. So as a member of the board of the FTA, I just wanna say it's not about turf, it's about a solution. It's not about turf. It's about a solution. It's about a synergy. Yeah, and to reiterate that, I mean, the Flow Collective and the FTA are not competing forces. Yeah. We're supporting forces, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if anyone's thrown this out here, but uh, what about forming a buying co-op for supplies that float tent centers need? Uh, salt solution, earplugs, towels, um, that sort of services. If we all band together, potentially we could lower our cost and uh, potentially significantly reduce those and get us on a better competing ground with some of the large franchise ships that are popular. Yeah, I mean that, that conversation kind of came up around Groupon, not to keep coming back to Groupon, but somebody raised the idea of like, well, what if as an industry we just turned to them and said, you'll never get more than a 15% commission and you'll never charge less than 50 bucks for a float, period. But if you want to work with the float industry, that those are the terms, right? So that, by working collectively and being connected, I mean, that, that's exactly the kind of thing that we really, there's always going to be some outliers and some centers that just want to do their own thing, and that's okay too. But you know, if if as a as a community they understand that, oh, actually we can't get away with playing that one up against this one and offering this price point here and playing these games over here to turn that one in. And I'm not saying that salt manufacturers do that in any way, but it's just, it's the same idea that <coughs> if as an industry you can say, well, actually we're not ever going to pay more than that or less than that. Um, I think it's absolutely possible. It just kind of comes down to all of us agreeing that that's a priority. And I think that's really what the Float Collective Board sits and listens for. It's like, okay, what are we hearing most about? What are we hearing that people say is a priority? But it just needs a little bit of leadership to get that going. You know, I think those are exactly the kind of things that we're, that we're looking for to say, hey, okay, so that just became a project. It's gonna take this number of hours, it's going to have this kind of budget attached to it. It's going to require these kind of resources, and we've identified and that there's 12 people who are interested in being involved in that. All right, let's let's put those 12 people together and throw some money. In get on a phone call and yeah, get even to know each other. Asking, yeah. you know, is there anybody who's been involved in distribution? It's like, oh yeah, I was in high-level distribution for the last 20 years and know who you need to talk to and when, where not to waste your time. And then it's like, oh wow, not only collectively do we decide, hey, we want to do this, but now you actually have some like background information on how to how to go around those or the uh, around the sometimes even just the political hierarchy of going after heavy heavy duty distribution but it's even like as, as, as a chiropractor you know you know what they think because you are one and that's something whereas in an industry where you can share that knowledge and information and let's say everybody here is just like we the single only thing we want right tomorrow is a pamphlet on how to speak to a chiropractor that you can go and bring it there and then you would and say, you know what, and I would love to be a part of that, and then we can schedule hours. We can say what else, what time of uh, type of resources do we need? How do we want to break this up, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's really unlimited, whether it's chiropractic or healthcare related, or it comes down to distribution. It comes down, especially with a conversation like this, is you know what, what do you guys want? What kind of stuff do you want to talk about? So that's awesome.
Yeah, I wanted to just go back to the collaboration thing for a bit because I think it's really vital. Um, it took me over a year and a half to to bond with the other float center in my town. And there is actually a third one, but they're not really involved in, like they won't return phone calls or anything like that. So, and they're not advertising and we just don't count that, <laughs> I hate to say, but we don't. And, and um, but it took over a year and a half to cultivate that relationship with her. And she was doing you know things that I considered, I love you, Christina, annoying, uh, <laughs> like copying everything I did, but taking it down $5, you know, it, and things like that. So we finally came to, and I went over to her place and just said, let's, let's have lunch, you know, like let's just talk. I actually bought a massage from her. So I went over and I had the massage with her and, and so she saw that I really was interested in her and I invited her to my float center so she could see that there was really no competition. We're completely different focuses. I have a home-based float center she has a commercial-based float center. Um, and we both have our strengths. I have 30 years experience, she has three. You know, I mean, like there's, there's a lot, you know, people can choose from you know, what they want. If they want energy work, they come to me. If they want medical more stuff, they go to her. And I said, there's plenty. And from there, we were able to start building bridges. You know, like you're saying, like brick by brick. It wasn't easy. And then we did this big ad together at Bed Bath & Beyond and they gave us this phenomenal price for six months because we were doing it together. We were buying two stores. And now we're doing, um, we were, I think a lot, I posted this, that Natural Awakenings is doing a national article on floating next month in areas where you've requested it. Now some, there will just, like they don't have an advertiser who's a float center, there's really no reason for them to choose that article. So she and I went together and we're getting a good-sized ad, a full-page article that she and I collaborated on to write. Um, we're getting two classified ads, all for the same price. And if we could do something like that, like if we knew there was a national article coming out in Vogue, or we knew there was a national article coming out in whatever magazine, the people who would be affected by that positively get together and, and chip in on, a, on an ad, that, that would raise awareness for all of us. But it takes, it does take time, and wait one second, I was thinking about your situation in Seattle, where you have all these fractionized. Um, no, not really, man, I'm just, I'm south okay. of the situation. Where Seattle has <laughs> not possibly fraction, fractionated, you know, flotation centers that might be doing damage to everybody because they're in a pissing match with each other on Groupon, essentially. So if somebody, you know, like you're saying leadership went in and just said, you know, gave them all an invitation of let's just talk about Groupon, let's meet at this pub for dinner or whatever, and started just building that bridge of do you realize how much money you all are losing because you're not getting off the Groupon board? And you know, like just letting them know the facts so that they can bond together against a common enemy, so as to speak, that would be a brick. You know, and so that you know that can start to you know to snowball into something that could be really good for the entire area. And I'm a ridiculous optimist, but it's something that could work. But I think our hope is that we're not the ones triggering that, spending time triggering it, but we're the ones who are catalyzing this awareness that we can all trigger that. You know, yeah. So we're, we're trying to just push out the themes and the tone and the vibe, <laughs> if you want to call it that less than we, we don't want to function as gatekeepers or bottlenecks around things like that happening. 
Um, but I absolutely agree with your point. Um, that's kind of, I mean, that's why Ascon and Graham set up floatdrinks.com last year, right? It was, the sa it was the same idea. So we're just kind of repeating that same thing. It's like, yeah, just get together and talk. I'm curious. It, there's no judgment whatsoever. Who here feels like they're in direct competition with another float center right now? What was the question? Who feels like they have competition with another float center right now? I don't even have franchises in my market, and they are not willing to discuss anything with you. Um, the ones that I have, I've called all of them to see, and it's really hard to get an owner on the phone because it's just whoever's at the desk. They rarely answer the phone. And the one that I did get a hold of wanted to charge me $220 an hour to take a tour and let me pick her brain. So what do you do with that? Uh, with franchises? That's a good question. Yeah. I'm not sure. Who are you? Um, I'm opening the here. There's several independent floor starters sorry, in Phoenix, and I'm happy to help you find them. That'd be great. Yeah. I've only found one, and they also have the same float pod that direct them. So okay. there's not anything in the market for what I'm looking for. Okay. And I know another one is a franchise, but she's she's really open. Okay. That's great. I just wanted to follow up on Aaron's uh, natural awakenings idea. Um, Flow Collective inspired me recently to to just think more collaboratively and collectively, and so I reached out to another float center in my community who I've talked to before. And, um, and we're doing that same thing. We're sharing an ad together, positioned right by that na that national uh, thing on floating. And then we, so that we got, you know, this half page ad for a really good rate. And we just said, have you floated? Question mark, check out these float centers, you know, in your area and then our, our two together. And so it felt really good to to do that and to, and to uh, and so now I think that's been a springboard to some nice, uh, a nice relationship, you know, with this other set center that's very close to ours. But I don't feel competition at all because we offer different things. We have a different feel and flavor. We have, a, you know, just different people coming, and, and I think that it just feels good. It feels right to be collaborative like that. So awesome. thank you for also saying that and the gr great use of that on the, the Flow Collective. That was a big theme from last year. Was like, don't fight over the slice of the pie. Increase the size of the pie. Right? Yeah. And that theme just keeps keeps being just as essential. So, a lot of the things that you're all talking about needing to do um, are probably would do really well to have the Float Collective or the FTA or whatever the organization is um, be able to be bigger and have more staff, like that kind of thing. And I'm wondering if it would be useful to know about what we do in another industry because, as well as being one of the owners of Oli Float. I'm a licensed massage therapist. We have an organization called the American Massage Therapy Association, and they do lobbying, they do medical research, they do education for other industries to get them more accepting of massage. They've kind of taken us from being like quasi-prostitution to being actual medical professionals, so it's like a pretty amazing influence on our industry. But that's not the reason most massage therapists give them like $260 a year to be members. We do it because they offer liability insurance. And so we're just covered, and then we're also like supporting all these things that we need, even though we might not ever get around to looking at the medical research or whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and so I'm wondering if the float industry could identify something like the buy-in co-op that he was talking about earlier, or access to 
something that you need. I know that um, dealing with health departments is a super big thing, some kind of credentialing, something. Um, is there something that we all need that the organization could collectively be able to get us at a better rate or cover us for in some kind of way? Insurance might not be the, the same thing in this industry, but some reason that we would give them the money that it would take to get the momentum to do all these things that we'd like to be doing. Yeah, I, mean, I think the AMTA is more analogous to the, to the FTA and, and what, their, what their focus is versus Float Collective. So I mean, Float Collective is about connection and cultivating dialogue and generating ideas. With regard to what you just said with the AMTA and with many other organiza organizations, you can buy advertising on their um, electronic or on their mailed, I'm sure the AMTA has the mailings, right? The mailings and yeah. electronic things that you can that you can purchase and add in, people will see, will see that. Um, I also wanted to say that in our state, we also have within the Virginia Chiropractic Association something called the VCA Doc Talk, where we all talk behind the scenes too about issues that come up. And so there are some uh, real similarities to this and that's why I also um, request and respect your dis discernment with regard to, you know, when you said uh, Coupon wants to be part of this group, you know, or that you're being true to like, the members that you're that you are letting in that I know you said before, but um, but that's where you know with our VCA doc talk, only doctors are talking. You know, only only people about that own float centers are, are, are talking, right? And I think when you let other people in and other groups and other societies in with other interests, that that's where you know getting back to your your um, question before about is there a way in which we can maybe steer the right way? That would be. A nice, a strong way to start too is to just be very uh, clear about who. Yeah, I mean it, it's tricky because there's there's certainly there's business organizations, manufacturers, consultants that are in Float Collective. So there's there's that fine line between what's your intention of being in there. Uh, do you want to be in there because you want to educate yourself about floating and learn more, or you have just a passion about floating, or are you blatantly in there just to sell shit to us? And so that, that's kind of the line we, you know, and I've kicked a couple of people out because they were clearly just in there to sell shit to us. Um, sorry, that's too bad. You <laughs> said, no, said no cursing. Yeah. Um, so there's always kind of that, that, to use your word, discernment about who, who gets in there and, and who doesn't. And I, I never know exactly what the right line is. And you can always gut check me if you think there's someone who should be in there who I kicked out. Um, insurance is a whole other category. So this is kind of piggybacking onto what Mandy said. So I just want to make sure we're touching on all the topics here that we said that uh, we were going to talk about. I have my opinions about insurance and the float industry. Um, There's also like the Canadian side and the American yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, they're too. kind of different animals, yeah. aren't they? And I know that you've done a bunch of, well, maybe you could give like a quick statement that. on where it is, where it's at in Canada. Yeah, because that's, um, that's a real cool piece to the puzzle that um, even conversations with um, for example, like the FTA and then the Float Collective, and realizing that you know there's there's the American side of things, even to do with health regulations and stuff. And even though as the collective, we really want to get good at and, and, and build a lot of depth in being able to create that K 
community and that feedback loop and having everybody want to build on projects and come up with different ideas, it might get to a point where um, somewhere in the future, if, 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 there's, if there's no kind of you know, good example for going after insurance coverage, that uh, it, it's something that even in Canada that could be really, really interesting to really push and spark, um, spark the industry forward where, um, and again, I'll let, I'll let Dan talk more about the, the US, but in Canada, if you were to get, you know, for example, insurance or benefits coverage the same way you get your massage or chiropractic, um, or even things for like your, your, your feet um, or, or eyewear, that if you can start to get in with these companies, um, they would be a game changer because now you have people who already float who will float more because they have free money, and then you have people who might not want to float, but they have free money, and, and especially if it's something that they start to enjoy, it's really going to spark it um, or spark things forward. And now where things have, have happened with that, even just as, as personal conversations that I've had, not necessarily only representing the float collective, but um, even just as, as, as a person who we have members and VPs of, of larger um, third-party insurance companies, um, a lot of them not being, being not-for-profit. Um, it's, it's interesting to know and, and see kind of, uh, and again, being able to keep people updated with what's going on and things that you can be, that, that you can legally do with, with, with clients um, in terms of saying like, hey, hand in receipts, right? Because conversations that I've had with people who work higher up in certain insurance companies, um, it really comes down to there, there's these interesting, um, and I guess the, the baseline is that insurance coverage happens in Canada. I personally feel that's a really, really, really good thing. Although things that you, we would maybe want to keep an eye on is now you have a lot of other interest from people with money because now there's free money anytime, especially in Canada when you have um, insurance money or you have free money or government money, then investors, for example, are, are super interested. But assuming that that's just not, not part of this conversation, um, you have this idea that the more people are floating and, and putting that pressure on companies to want to be able to supply that through um, their third party benefits program, then that then puts pressure on the sales rep to then put pressure on their organization to try to make something happen within their group. Right, so ev even things that you're starting to see now happen a little bit back and forth is more and more people are handing in their receipts, and it's even something that you you know casually let people know. It's like, oh, my company doesn't cover floating. It's like, yeah, but still, just hand in your receipts. Even just educating, if you're in Canada, educate your clients and saying, yeah, just hand in your receipts anyways, right? Because the cool thing is, even though there's a lot of red tape, and you know this could take three, five, six, eight years. Um, I'm not sure how long did chiropractic um, take to get insurance coverage. I guess this would be more Canadian based as well. Uh, but it took like a very, 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 very long time. So even if it takes a few years, it's the idea that when that happens, that could be a big shift for the Canadian industry. Um, but uh, when it comes down now, it's like incentivizing, if you're a Canadian float center, incentivizing your clients to hand in their receipts. Because one, they might actually get coverage um, under certain kind of health spending accounts um, or spending accounts. But uh, it's, it's the idea that if they're handing them in, even though insurance companies have a lot of red tape and it can take a lot of time to get to those points, um, it's the idea that the same red tape is on the reverse. It's kind of like, you know, N always equals need, or needs to equal N. And so you have this piece of the puzzle where even though it takes a long time to get things done, it also means they have regulations where, you know, if you hand in a receipt, they still have to log that. And so there's still this little database of people handing in receipts and what's actually getting denied. And so being able to get clients and members to be able to hand in their receipts, that has to go through every single time, even if they don't actually um, 
are able to cover it. And so then when an organization, whether that's the Float Collective or some other type of, of company kind of moving forward or organization moving forward, it can get to the point where um, they can now start to look at data and then kind of push that forward to say, hey, look at all these people wanting to cover this. And then the sales reps are saying, yeah, and these companies are really trying to get their members or their, their, their staff and their team are really wanting it, so then they're putting pressure on the sales. And there's kind of this little synergistic and almost like political effect of what's going on to get that insurance coverage. Um, that being said, I know, like again, for Canada, getting that type of coverage could be a huge benefit to the industry in terms of like really getting things out there. But on the other hand, the U.S. runs runs very differently in that perspective. I don't know much about how it runs in the U.S. Um, I, I have a, another kind of poll question. So, everybody who would like to see insurance coverage for floating, put your hands up. Okay, all of you who have dealt, or keep your hands up for a second. Okay, those of you who have actually dealt with insurance billing before, keep your hands up. Okay. So maybe 50%? Isn't there a difference between a insurance coverage that we build down and they get it from their insurance company? I guess there is a difference, yeah. Who, who, I want to do another quick poll. Who thinks that money is a big factor why people don't, don't come in and float for their first time? But for their first time, not regularly. something I wrote down here, yeah. Yeah, because that's the whole, it's an employer-funded benefit in what we're trying to create. Yeah, we've done that. I mean, you, you can sell a lot of floats to a large employer. Yeah. And, and like you said, just cut out insurers altogether and just have it be sort of a supplementary wellness program that that company gets to stick its flag on and say, yeah, we, we care about your health by add, offering this additional program. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy, but you are kind of recreating the wheel with each large employer you have to talk to. So it, it's work for sure, but it's worth doing. We, we've done it with a couple of employers and it, it worked really well. There's a, there's a large initial interest level. You sell a lot of floats, and it just kind of tapers off. And from that, you get some members who stick around with you, right? So it's like a large exposure um, activity, and then it tapers off. So it's definitely worth doing. I think there's got to be a way to be able to put it in there somehow at some point so that it can be my agent based on. everybody I know in the massage industry is just like don't don't really bother with insurance unless you can employ someone to do your insurance because you have to fight so often about it um, but the HSAs are great and that's a much more reachable target for us um, I have kind of a unique uh, approach with this because my job before this was uh, physician, healthcare, patient billing, insurance billing, WSIB billing. I'm from Ontario, Canada. 
Um, so because I'm already registered to do all that billing, like you said, it is a nightmare. <laughs> so like from that perspective, it's a lot of work. It is a good idea probably to have someone who's trained in it, but I am actively billing to car and car insurance claims. So in Canada, I'm not sure across Canada, but in Ontario, they will cover 10 off the bat right away. Um, that's not even necessarily coming from uh, a practitioner. We just give them a receipt and the client submits it on their own through a form and they get reimbursed. We just had multiple insurance companies um, buying packages of $2,500. So it's really growing in my area anyway. Um, the other side to that is because I uh, was registered and have the contacts, I've spoken with WSIB. They are completely willing to take floating on as a billable service, but we need to prove that we have the ability to get people back to work, that we solely can get them um, in a physical state that they can know they can go back to their job. So the problem I'm having is I'm a very small town. I have two universities hours away, but to get a practitioner on board to then say yes, I will produce like I'll do this study with you. I don't know if that's going to have to be something that would come collectively within Ontario or Canada or just some you know the FTA. Um, so they're willing to do it. They just need to have kind of the, the backbone and the proof to it. Uh, the other kind of side to that with the billables, um, you get a lot of denials. You get a, a lot of initial referrals from physicians or chiropractors. Um, and there's two sides to it because you get the approvals and then the clients get their money and then they don't come spend it. And so you're doing a lot of work to give this client the ability to float but, and they are getting their money and they're coming to float once and then they have that money and they're not actually spending it in your industry. So it's kind of, you know, there's different sides to it. Now we've also been told, um, like I said, because I'm registered to do the billing to insurances, they're fine to let us bill to them, but we need to have some kind of medical professional on staff. And because I'm registered with them, but not a registered practitioner, they won't even look at us. So like you said about continuing to submit them and submitting the receipts, um, that's probably going to gain a lot of traction just doing that alone. Mm -hmm. And just as a quick little follow-up is, as a, in that I can see too how this, like asking the comp, like the, the, the question of who wants insurance coverage, um, I definitely think has that, that piece of the, the U.S. side and Canadian side, but from what you've just told me, even though the, it can be a nightmare or nightmare for paperwork, being involved in that space and, and going through the process of that and being, because um, did you say you have a float center or you're going to be opening yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Um, is that, is insurance in Canada something that you think would be beneficial to your business? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I, I you know, know we're That's a spitballing question for you. If, if every claim for a float with insurance in all of North America, if all of those claims were filing into one place, yeah. how many billing specialists would it take to well, field all of those? For my job, I would say <laughs> 
it, it's a lot of work, but um, you know, like it's chiropractic or massage, they do multiple client submissions at a time, and so they come back to you the same way. And then it's just a matter of really doing the counter reconciliation and resubmission. I go for acupuncture, and it just really depends on what insurance company you're dealing with. Kaiser, no way. I dropped them. They weren't paying. And other ones are really straightforward, so it's kind of tricky, but if acupuncture can make a big push and it can be covered, I see no problem in why in the future we can't get coverage too. But I wonder, like in our perfect world, how much reimbursement would everybody want for billing in our perfect world? $50? Like, what is it? They will pay out, and that's equivalent to a hydrotherapy that they'll pay out to a physiotherapist doing like aqua therapy with the client. So, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with insurance companies for the last 25 years, <laughs> and uh, I'm just not sure that we want to go down this rabbit hole. I have some very strong objections about, you know, there's there's huge differences between the Canadian and the, Amer and the American system. Um, and like you said, well, first of all, the difference, I think you're probably rare in terms of accepting insurance as an acupuncturist, right, or doing acupuncture. I think that most acupuncturists don't take insurance and as a collective group haven't since they started practicing here, whereas chiropractors have gone down that, ac that, that insurance route, acupuncturists haven't. When you have insurance and all of a sudden, oh, your copay just went up $10. Oh, really, I guess I can't come back. I can't come back anymore and you'd be surprised. Like when you have something and then you take it away from somebody, it's almost worse than having it in the first place. And so, you know, I think to the point too, it's like how much are we all will, willing to accept from insurance companies because it's no different than Groupon, really. It's going to be another insurance is going to be another group on when you're going to take the just the you know because they're going to dictate oh and by the way after ten floats no more no more after ten because but but this other insurance company will give you twelve but then next year they stop and then and they don't do it at all but then then there's a new one that pops up and they're unlimited but but then there's some incremental payment that the person has to pay every time and then they changed it to a different kind of arrangement. And does this realm of people getting quotes for twenty dollars then create a realm of people for whom it seems really expensive that they're paying? Well, then it becomes all relative again, right? Yeah. It becomes all relative again, and it's a, it's um, you know who do we want governing? You know, oh well, you can, and, and you know, and that gets back to the HSA accounts too. The HSAs are all individual to that HSA account. Some are going to cover acupuncture and massage. But they won't cover cupping therapy, and and these these three will like they don't even question you about the fact that you used it for floating, but then this other company will will deny it. You as the float owner as the float center owner are are not going to get that money rescinded from you, but the person that used the car is going to get it denied, and then they'll have to pay through other means, and then that's another way of of them, um, you know, being disappointed maybe with like, oh, I thought this was covered, but it's not covered, whatever, but 
but um, it, it would be, I think, a good approach if, to ask people, hey, see if your, health, if your HSA account does cover this, or maybe they don't even, they, you leave it up to your discretion, but the point is that it's different for every HSA. Well, I'd say, Jessica, your, your question is a really important one. I kind of, my brain is piggybacking onto that. What's the lowest price point you would accept for a float? Is there another way that you could actually offer that price point without even involving an insurance company? If $50 is, is the minimum that you would want to get from an insurance claim, how else can you offer a $50 float to somebody who wants to commit to floating for 12, 16, 20 times? So I'll just kind of offer that concept. If I can bring something up as well, um, I think if, if you are guaranteed $50 or if that's kind of the magic bullet to bring people in, you don't have to necessarily do as much marketing because I, I assume that's a part of why. I think part of it is probably more access, just more people get to experience it, but also it's going to fill up your float tanks more and it's quote unquote easy money, easier money. But I think a potential risk to that is also then somebody sees dollar signs. So then you're going to see more box float centers open up that don't care about the customer service that wouldn't be in this circle that'd be charging money for a tour and they're not going to give the same experience and they're only going to be marketing to uh, get people who provide insurance or to insurance companies to get those people into their centers as opposed to what we're trying to do. And so that's a risk that I think about when I'm thinking about insurance. I'm very on the fence about whether we, whether it's a good thing or not. sister and I are opening a center in California and uh, I'm a dentist and so I can give you kind of my two cents from a very different industry but the insurance game is a very slippery slope so every all my friends everyone I know that's in that profession their dream is to own a cash business and deal with no insurance companies that exists now in the float industry so and where things have gone with insurance, I know it's very, it's very different, but the insurance companies are able to now set your fees. They can tell you what you can charge and what they will reimburse for dental services. I don't know what's gonna happen with floating, but I will say, like it's cool it'll get people in, but it can open kind of a Pandora's box, I think, if, you know, just that's, that's kind of my two cents on it. Um, so like sometimes it's cool, but there's a lot of different things to think about, I guess, uh, I would say. Um, I have seen that already just in the insurance billing from car accidents, um, because same thing, car accident claims are all very different, that you pay for a certain level of service, but then you get lower down and you have to actually prove you're this injured enough to get this certain level of coverage. It's really a broken system, but, um, We've had a few car accident companies who are saying, sure, I'll pay it, but I'm only paying $35. You can only charge that much. And my response to them was, I charge 55 for this claim. If that's all you're gonna cover, then the client has to pay the rest. I'm more than willing to then work with the client instead of working with the insurance company because it is very dangerous to let them tell us what we can charge. And so MVA claims will fall under, like I said, the hydrotherapy, and that's a regulated number. We might not want that number to be regulated. Let's ask it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it is really important to listen to the people who have dealt with the day-to-day -day of taking insurance, right? Because every story I've heard is, is just ugly. And so many of us got into this industry because we are seeking freedom 
from something else that didn't serve us very well, right? We all dug out under the south fence and escaped that shitty job that we didn't like. And now three shitty jobs. Three fences or three shitty jobs? Three shitties. Okay, three shitties. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this is... Five now. <laughs> <laughs> to, me, to me, insurance billing is a giant, ugly pocket of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. that I already escaped from. So just for me personally, my, I, mean, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And my gut sense is a lot of the float centers who think they want it because it would bring people in will discover that, eh, actually, I don't want it after all. But now the wolf is in the door, like you said, and now you got to deal with them. So I, this is kind of my color commentary. So uh, just a quick question back to the comment over here about maybe some HSA programs would accept it. Is anyone aware of an HSA program that does accept it? I have, sorry, I have a client who um, I just sent her a, a bill and she submits it and she gets paid. I've seen it be hit and miss. I mean, it, it's sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, the clients who have the debit card mm-hmm. style transaction, it's like, 50% of the time it goes through and it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell thing. I think if we were to call the insurance company and say, hey, do you accept floating? They'd say no. But it kind of slips under the radar somehow. I don't know the mechanics of how that works, but it's about 50-50 in my experience. So that depends upon how you're listed um, with authorized.net or whoever it is. Because if it's if they think you're a medical facility, they'll accept it. If they don't know that you think you're a medical facility, they won't accept it. Kaylee, you're saying it's your FIC code? Yes. Emergency officer? Yes. What's your FIC code? Well, I'm just saying because you said it goes through for you. No, 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 no. I've never used it. No, they, they, with me, they go. It's the they uh, bill. They, or they, bill. they submit for they reimbursement. Submit for, yeah, for reimbursement. So an HSA is a bank account, and you declare that the money that you take out of the bank account to pay the provider is within the guide, government guidelines for an HSA. Now, I have an HSA. I've never been audited. I've had it for, I don't know, 20 years or something, 15, whatever. Um, Now I don't claim very much, but that's how it works. So it's all a matter of getting audited. But it does come down to your point. Did you say SSA code? FIC. It's an FIC code. It's an industry code that's standardized, and there's some, you know, flexibility and some not of what you fall under, but the merchant processor dictates. So if you know to ask the question and say, what SIC code do you put us under? Like for instance, that's with an authorized.net merchant account. Mm-hmm. But for instance, with my body, they integrate and wrap that. So it's not even like I would necessarily have that dialogue. They have a very low understanding of any technical merchant processing questions. Mm-hmm. But that's what you would ask from a direct merchant account that you would have. What do you have me under as an SIC code? And then you would maybe have that dialogue. That's been my experience is it declines right away with 50% of them and the other one just goes through. So there is obviously something in the merchant processing um, data that's immediately declining it, yeah. Do you have another question at the back? Uh, a resident dentist now that we know about? <laughs> no, I was just gonna uh, say like, I think there is a component um, between the, the client and the center or, or in any business um, you know, that payment for that service, that's an energy exchange between, you know, two people. And I think there is real value when someone is giving you their hard-earned money to go in and float or whatever it is, that there is, there's value there for that person. And if you change that to where an insurance company is 
paying for their experience. Um, not saying it always does, everyone's different, but it can alter how they view that experience or the value and the return that they're getting. It can come with some entitlement, to be honest, um, for people that are coming in and their insurance is paying for it. Um, and there can be some pushback and it just, it opens up a door to a whole new set of clients, to be honest. Um, so that's just another aspect to kind of think about. Um, I, I truly value, you know, having that exchange um, in terms of like money. It, it is dollars, but it's also energy. It's someone who's worked for that and they want to spend it with you. And I think they get more out of it, uh, to be honest, in anything. You're saying it, it risks devaluing because it's not something you necessarily worked for. It's something that's provided to you and so you yeah, can like, title versus, yeah, it's I work not, for It's not necessarily mine. your money that you're spending. So you, you have no connection with that. And um, yeah. the question is always, what kind of target client are you going after? Because not every client is a good client. Mm -hmm. So you bring up a really good point. We cut well, deals on yeah. we cut deals on packages of floats all the time, based on what the person sense. needs okay. and what we know yeah. their income level is. It's not like it's not advertised, but it's you know we have a dialogue with someone and you know we figure okay we could give it to you for this much because we understand that your economics are this. It's case by case basis. Right. Totally. Yeah. Kind of in a, in a similar line. I don't have a sliding scale, but I have um, a couple of sponsors who are willing to help out people. Uh, in the community cool. who can't afford it. So that's just another way to sort of reach out in that same way. Can you, can you expand on that? Like what, what kind of sponsor is it? Like what, what got them into that? Well, specific, specifically I have somebody who wants to sponsor uh, veterans with PH, PTSD to come and float. Is this an individual person or yeah. an organization? Or? Yeah, an, really? an individual. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. So I haven't had that much success yet actually reaching out and getting those people in, but um, I think it's, uh, it's something that you, doesn't have to just be for PTSD. You could expand it. Yeah, I mean, fibromyalgia is, an, is another one. I mean, right. our, our two sweet spots for kind of serving our community is fibromyalgia or pain disorders in general and, and vets, right? I mean, especially for vets because they've already given, so that's our way of giving back. But people with pain disorders, I mean, a lot of them are unemployed as a result of their pain disorder. And floating in a very real way can give them back their lives, right? You can, you can take someone who feels dysfunctional and not able to contribute and turn them into a functional contributing person again and feeling like they have a purpose. You can't put a price on that, really. And, but if that means offering them a $40 float instead of a $70 float, and you're still making five bucks on top, I mean, for, for our, from our center's perspective, that feels good to do that. That's just, that's a no-brainer community service to us right there. 
worked in the hotel industry for several years, and on the baseline, you take every available room for rent um, for a particular night, and you divide that over the cost of your maintenance, your employment, your insurance, local taxes, and you come up with a baseline number of how much it costs to have that room empty, how much it costs not to have a body in that tank or in that room in the industry thing. So you could use that as a baseline, like, okay, it's a slow season, we don't have a lot of people going in here, let's get bodies in the tank, let's keep this growing and try to you know, recut those costs and then you can gain it when the, uh, the peak season is hit. Absolutely. Does everybody know what that cost per float is? Just me? <laughs> I'm your cost per float? <laughs> it's, it's really invaluable, I mean, we, we didn't figure that out accurately for a long time. We realized how much money we were losing just because we had the wrong price point. And it, it's figuring out that what it costs you to offer a float is so essential to balancing your budget. So if you haven't done that, I recommend doing it. <laughs> I'll be honest, we thought it was $11 a float, and it turned out to be 32 It was a massive <laughs> oversight. Is that because of your mortgage? It was staffing for us. You know, we, we incrementally added staff over time, and we just hadn't recalculated our cost per float based on the staff. And our staff represents fifty six percent of our budget, and we just weren't reflecting that. Um, two, two was directly correlates, right? Because you have fixed cost and variable. The more tanks you have, inevitably your cost per float is going to go down. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we got two float tanks. We got a third one coming in line, but we also do massage and clean psychotherapy and other stuff. There's capacity and stuff. Um, we haven't talked about cannabis yet. That was on the list. Um, we got two minutes. We got two minutes to talk about weed. Um, and we also want to talk, just kind of touch on how we're funded as well. Just talk about how we budget things. So we have technically till about 5.30, but if anybody needs to leave at 5, we're wrapping up in a couple minutes. Do we feel like we want to talk about cannabis? I mean, that's kind of a big, hairy topic all by itself. Do we want to bite that off and attempt it? No. I love floating with cannabis. It's something I love. This probably isn't going where you're thinking. You guys know how Jimi Hendrix died, right? So <clears throat> I'm getting deep into my float and I realize I'm maybe a bit too deep. And <laughs> if I throw up, I'm fixed in a supine position on my back. And no one's coming to check scariest I've ever been. <laughs> and I tried to roll over and I, I couldn't reference where I was at. So I finally float on my side in just kind of recovery position and I was able to relax enough and get through the experience to the point where I could physically actually get out of the tank again. So just a point of caution, even with your own floaters or yourself, is to be very aware of that. Even very experienced people could find themselves accidentally passed out, throw up, and they can't roll over, which is not cool. That was exclusively cannabis? So I have to sign up with a supplier who will then just mail it to me. 
So I brought them in and I said, I want you to float, I want you to see what it can do for you. And then I met with their salespeople. So I have a full display on PVD now. And I don't so much go into the THC part of it because that's not as much, like you said, like somebody could get themselves in a very anxious state in the tank. So I, because I have that medical knowledge as well, talk with all of my clients who present with chronic pain, any kind of injury, anxiety, depression. And I've had a, a lot of people, for being open less than a year, I've had like significant amount of clients who get off painkillers using CBD oil. So I'm working with them right now to be able to distribute it without them having a license. And it's kind of tricky because there's a lot of regulation, but it can be a really strong conversation for people to go back to their doctors and say, look, I've not only tried floating, which is doing this, this, and this, but I'm trying CBD oil and it's not full, like I'm hitting high thing. It's actually helping them. And then they can get off painkillers, which are then filling their liver and their stomach and their eyes and all these other things that they're on different medications for. So it's, it's something that could be really interesting, but you, I would say we have to be careful as an industry of mixing the two. Is there anybody who doesn't understand the difference between THC and CBD? Is that, is that, is that weird language to anybody, or do we all get the difference there? That was actually questions all at once. Everybody understands CB, CBD it doesn't gain <laughs> high. It's the beneficial medical side of cannabis, whereas THC is, has some benefits, but it's the, the getting high side. But just to make sure everybody understands it. They operate where it's uh, legal recreationally because you've actually experienced it firsthand. Uh, in Florida, it just became medicinal, which I, you know, as time goes on, it's just going to grow and grow. You know, states are going to legalize recreationally. And my only concern is just like, what are the pros and cons that you've seen with cannabis use and floating? Is it bring in a certain undesirable crowd, or have you seen that, you know, not really based? Does it also enhance the float? I mean, I, yeah. I, this is something I don't know. Is this so that, going to be something that enhances the industry when your state legalizes? Is that something you really cater to? Does it help the meditation? The, the people you'll see using it are not the people you expect to be using it. 
it, it's the people with chronic pain disorders, with PTSD, with anxiety disorders. You, you're not going to get somebody, you know, riding their kick-started bong through your front door, you know, busting up Bob Marley. It's just, it's not that. You, you'll, you'll see the seven-year-old with fibromyalgia, like, vaping in their car up front before they come into flow, right? And it's just not any kind of issue. It doesn't present any challenge to the staff or the center whatsoever. So not. We've had some people come in and they're doing the orientation and they just have the glass eyes and they're just not engaged. And you can tell, oh yeah, you just smoked a fat joint inside. And nothing is getting through right now. Okay, we'll just like take you to your flow. Right? <laughs> um, but generally speaking, it is it's the people who are using it therapeutically. And it's not only is it not a problem, it is a public service to be able to offer that. If it, if it makes the float that much more effective, just offer it. Be okay with it. No, it's going to happen. No, it's not going to cause any challenges for you for the most part. Well, have you noticed that you've had to change your waiver or have you changed your insurance? Have you had to tell your insurance company? <coughs> no, I mean, it's not like an above board, yes, we want you to smoke cannabis and come in. Technically, our waiver says you can't come in intoxicated, right? So, I mean, if somebody is so trashed that you know, they, they're just not responsive, not able to communicate, we're going to say no. I mean, Honestly, we've had worse issues with alcohol than we have with, with cannabis. Oh, pain drugs. Oh. So, so you're thinking, okay, I'm going to take a little Um, but as well as, as, as Dustin opened up with and kind of that, would you, would you say that explorative nature? Yeah, but yeah, it, it's, it's the idea that, you know, if, if uh, you know, yourself in that state comes into your float center, would you let yourself float? Then that's probably a good idea to be very conscious about kind of what's happening there. Wow. <laughs> well, it was, it was this funny moment because we, we couldn't figure out if she had a neurological disorder. It took a minute to figure out. And then she stood up and sat in the dog and I, oh, you're drunk. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. The dog was the key. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Want to wrap up? Yeah, we should probably wrap up. Uh, we're funding. Funding? Sure, yeah. sure. So <clears throat> we're funded a little differently than some other sort of industry association group. Um, we're going to have a, a couple of different funding routes. We, we will have a Patreon account set up, just as Dylan does with Art of the Flow. Well, the Art of the Flow team does, I should say. Um, we're not a membership, dues-driven organization. We'll have the Patreon. If you want to send us money, if you just support what we're doing, that's awesome. But primarily, our funding is going to be project-based. right? So like we've talked about several times here, we sit and we listen and we observe for a need we take it upon ourselves to try and organize the resources around meeting that need. With that is going to come a budgetary need, right? So 
we're taking it on ourselves to be catalysts for those projects and to say, hey, if we all want to do this, if we agree this is a priority, it's going to cost $20,000, $50,000, $100,000, whatever it is. So we're very much project funded. That removes us from the whole send us money, send us money, send us money. We need membership dues, we need membership dues. Make sure you're staying up on your membership dues. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be in that position. But it also keeps us accountable to being effective. So if we're saying, hey, we're going to go do this project, let's crowdsource $20,000, and then we do nothing, well, we're not going to last very long. <laughs> right? On top of the fact that you know something could say, hey, we want to do this, raise 20 grand, and let's say we give like a four to six month or eight month for all intents and purposes, six months to get it done, and it gets done in a month, cool, that project is funded quicker and we can kind of make an action plan that much faster. But then other things, if, if people are saying like super gung-ho on a project and that we're raising money for and it just takes a little bit longer, I mean, that's that's also then where everybody kind of works together and, and, and taking the time to do that. But yeah, I think that differentiation in terms of like the, the idea of if you want to donate money, absolutely, I think that, that that's super crucial to have. But then also the idea of saying, hey, because the other big piece too that we've, we've said a few times is the funding is correlated to projects, but the projects are, are decided by you guys and decided by all of us, right? So We do have operating costs. I hear, I can feel Jules' gaze Jules over the head. She's like, no, we need, we need some money for operating costs. So, yeah, we, we do have an ongoing budget. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot, but you know, yeah. that, that Patreon account we hope will kind of help just maintain the operating budget yeah. just for us as a, as a board, but really most of the money is going to be totally project. And, it either, and even the cost, though, like, you'll know what money it's being spent on, right? We're not making any money on it. I think it's one of the key things. Like, like Matt said, we're not consultants. We're not selling float tanks. We're not selling anything. You know, we're just wanting to be catalysts for um, projects within the industry that help us all. Are you the kind of nonprofit that stacks deductibles? There's the, there's the difference between non-profit and not-for-profit. It's different. It's a non-for-profit versus a non-profit. And I don't know how that would also translate to the state because we are registered in Canada. It's an international tax, tax shelter. <laughs> <laughs> but we definitely look into it. Yeah. <laughs> so so has, have you ever thought about utilizing some of the sports figures that like Seth Curry has that commercial that he's floating? Have you ever thought about using Asking, because I guess he floats locally in some float center there, right there in the Golden State area. Yeah. Making that a project and making a national commercial, asking him maybe if he'll just be in the commercial and, and just saying, okay, this is what one of our projects will be. Have a national commercial that just states, visit your local float center. I think as Steph Curry walks into your float center, you should try and have that conversation. It's on each of us. He walks in, and then there's—I mean, there's many athletes that have them at their home and stuff like that. So the, the benefits are out there. But actually, trying to say, okay, Steph, can can you just appear in this commercial for a few seconds without costing? Maybe you can have it on a, on a national platform one evening or something. It'd be costly, but you'll you'll have an effect for everyone that's involved in that has a close to Definitely. I mean, I, I, I think the best the best person to have that influence is that person, is that athlete's local float center, right? Yeah. So if we if we all know that, yeah, you should. I, I see a lot of conversation around. Um, you know, some some famous sports person came in, but I didn't I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to get in the way of their flow with their float. Uh, my take is, I would totally talk to them and try and get them on board. <laughs> Especially if they like. Now, a bigger part of the float center. That that float center is there. Um, yeah, I've, 
I can't remember the name of that reboot. Yeah, I think it's reboot. Yeah. It's reboot. Yeah. Steph Curry I also did that video. I'm not sure if it, that was a non-profit that they oh, worked Kaiser, with. Kaiser's Kaiser. not. They're a for-profit. Very for-profit. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely a possibility. But like like Dan said, it's like whether it's a Steph Curry or the context of Steph Curry come into your center, it's just like, yeah, it's a good question to ask them. So one thing we're going to be doing is trying to summarize some of this stuff as best we can in relation to these topics putting them out on the Facebook group so that this conversation can continue and that we can generate some of those ideas and try to push those ones forward. The Facebook group is a fantastic way to really crowdsource that information and essentially vote up which ideas are popular among the collective, you know, getting celebrity advocates, you know, everything under the sun to just building brochures around chiropractic or anything like that um, should come up in that discussion, uh, we're hoping and we'll do our best to summarize that. So if you haven't already, you know, put in your, your submission to join that, fill out the little questionnaire to get in to the Flow Collective and, um, and you can contribute and we can kind of keep this conversation going. So, and, and always feel free to, um, not necessarily even in a singular thread, but if you guys had something that you didn't get answered or you only kind of scratched the surface, that's what those are the those are the different topics that you can personally start and have people who weren't even in this group really dive deep on that as well. So feel completely open to, you know, saying, hey, about this conversation that we're having, what are your thoughts here? And then just continue it on. So anyways, we want to be respectful of everybody's time. And I know there's some other starts starting up. So thank you guys for coming thank out. You for coming. Super awesome. And that is the end of part two of Soul of the Industry. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to everybody who was there and participated, of course. And before we sign off, I want to give a shout out to Float Away, the guys who have been sponsoring us from the very beginning, before we had any listeners at all. Thank you so much, Float Away, for being behind us. Really, really means a lot to us. And we love talking about Float Away because they make incredible float tanks and have just not stopped innovating with their float tanks, whether it's reinventing the tranquility float tank year after year after year and creating new upgrades to it um, or redoing the computers and the remote controls to creating the float around and now they're making the serenity float tank which is even larger so it's i think the largest round float tank in existence at least commercially manufactured float tank and now that they have a uh, manufacturing plant in tulsa oklahoma they are even able to make those uh, quicker and ship them so much easier, which is sometimes a bit of a problem when shipping overseas. It can be a hassle, or really any shipping is a hassle. If you listen to the show, you've, you've heard that plenty of times. But uh, this just makes it that much easier. So thanks so much to FloatAway. FloatAway.com is where you want to go. And uh, check them out. Show, uh, show them your love for us if you are purchasing through them. Let them know that uh, you're finding them through us. We appreciate that. And uh, also just want to give a shout out to everybody who's supporting us through our Amazon link. If you do bookmark our Amazon link, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it doesn't cost you anything, but every time you make a purchase on Amazon, it sends a few shekels our way. It means a lot to us, uh, including your support for the Patreon. That means a ton to us. Thank you guys so much for yeah, signing thank you, up. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thanks to Emily for writing the show notes on this week's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. And, <laughs> and uh, let's see here. I think that's about it. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to the roundtable. Uh, we've got a great interview for you next week with Colin Stanwell Smith. This one is wild. I love it. I can't wait to share it with you guys. It's a good one. <laughs> and uh, until then, remember there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So spend some time there. We'll see you next week. 